Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. I'm only loud when I'm drunk. Nice. That's it. And you do Dorinda arms. Yeah. Oh, wait. What is that? I don't watch The Housewives. Oh, that's what I thought, but I don't. I just... To me, the... and she points at people like this, like she's coming Often down over. on them. Uh, see, to me, the flailing, the wildly flailing of arms is Liza Minnelli in New mm, York, New York. Mm-hmm. You, you know, both movie versions. I've never seen, but I'll always reference on that on that level. <laughs> because there was that period of time. <laughs> she's shaking her coke head. arms. Yeah. That period of time. <laughs> Here's the tweet was with. <laughs> When the Dukes come, <laughs> getting the shaky just bow arms, doing the arms. Uh, what was the? I mean, the first time that you shared that, what was the context again? You knocked a full glass of wine over. <laughs> yes, With, capturing yeah. the footage. But that's not what I quote about. What did you say? Are we recording? Mm-hmm. Okay. What I know did you it's say? weird because we don't necessarily know when we're starting now because Brandon can just slip in. <laughs> what does that I mean? Just, oh, I, yeah. I just right. dude, slipped it in this mm-hmm. time. Mm. Yeah, now that our long national nightmare of the clap has been eradicated, yes. we are, we are. I don't clean. know what my first Liza tweet. Clean Real Todd Haynes. Okay, I'm going to do at Real Todd Haynes in quotes. Well, I wouldn't know. I feel like if, yeah, I I feel like if someone was to uh, hear about this podcast, they would make fun of it by saying, do they just talk about their tweets? Mm-hmm. And now we're doing it. But it's good to get ahead. Or it's good to do get they ahead. just talk about Liza? It's that too. It's good to get ahead of the haters, you mm-hmm. know? Can't do you see it. anything? That's fine. I think I just tweeted. It's good to be ourselves with a Z. This this clip. <laughs> oh, I ben love is that ta- movie so Do you much. want to talk about what clip you're talking about? In Liza Minnelli's great film that she directed. <laughs> New York, New York, directed by Martin She Scorsese. directed it like Tony Gilroy directed that Rogue One. I understand. Every night she and Marty went home and fucked on coke like crazy. Mm-hmm. And Beyond, Beyond said it, 8 a.m. sharp. Mm-hmm. Don't That's miss what a they beat. used to do back and, then. Don't miss a beat, but you know, you beating plenty. She missed beads the beat. Of sweat. Doing the <laughs> arms. You were doing uh, the Liza tweets early December. Yeah. So we were really lit, like getting ready for break. Yeah. Oh God, I've never been happier than I was. I just said last week that the happiest I've ever been in here was mm-hmm. when we recorded the Star Wars episode. To which Ben replied, "I've had sex in his room." But actually, probably while New York, New York was probably in the background. Wow. Never mind. Uh, but what did we... We recorded an episode during break. That was delightfully fun. That was the most fun I've ever had in my life. That was, was it the post? It was The Post. Oh. We talked about The Post during break. Oh, The Post, we went insane. Well, it was nice because usually... We lost our goddamn Usually minds. when we yeah. walk into Ben's apartment, there's this general... I mean, I think I've sighed every single time Ben has let me into the apartment. <laughs> That's the first thing I've done is... <sighs> and then I, and then usually That's like our general greeting to yes. each other just a heavy <laughs> Brandon gives a sad hello like a resigned <laughs> mm-hmm. hello 
Ben has uh, Ben is always bleary eyed. He's just woken up I've from a nap. I've literally always just woken up. And sometimes we'll get we'll get here and there'll be some vegetables and beans on the stove, making a little dinner. Because I don't plan well. That's for okay. Like as if you guys are coming here and this is an appointment. I don't plan well. <laughs> you know, I don't plan well for anything, but. For the purpose of keeping on on point here, I've never planned well for getting to this podcast recording on time because I I was thinking about this when I was driving here today. I cannot think of a time that I wasn't here right on time or like twenty minutes late. You know, you were early I'm last always, week. No, I wasn't. Brandon was late. No, I think you were early as well. Well, I can't speak. Maybe to that. by like three minutes. It was nothing. But my point is, I'm always I'm always rushing to get here. Anyway, and then when we leave, there's always this. It's not a resigned sigh. It's a resigned realization that we all have to get up and because if it's a late night recording to like today, we have to get up in like eight hours mm-hmm. and like go to work. Mm. Punch the clock. I might watch the tail tonight, girl. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Good I luck. I mean I hope that you do, but that's really ambitious considering this is a late night recording. Yeah, but I napped for a lot longer than I anticipated. Ben took a very long nap before we got here. I usually just take a power nap, but I've been cutting back caffeine, so it's really hard for me to stay awake in general right now. I applaud that. People who quit caffeine are the bravest people. I'm down to one cup of coffee a day, and that's where I'm going to stay. Are you kidding me? And so I've been drinking a little tea, but I never really had any painful withdrawal. I'm just a little extra They say you can just drink water through it. I've been fine. Yesterday, when I started- Drink water through caffeine withdrawal? Mm Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. And then I think it's only like a week of bad headaches and yeah. then you're through it. I've just been like a little fuzzy. There was never a bad headache. I like really stepped it down slow. That's I can't why do it. I, I'm so happy for you that you're committing you. to it. Because anytime I uh, intentionally or unintentionally cut back on my coffee, that fuzziness mm-hmm. means that I'm not sharp. Yeah. Not that I'm ever really that sharp. But that means if I'm talking to other people, I generally forget what I'm saying halfway through the sentence. Yeah, I've accepted that as my life for four for, weeks. Yeah, basically. not very long. And then you'll be on the other side. You'll have the rest yeah. of your life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I also just like, I like having a hot drink in the morning. And I like having a hot drink for like three hours in the morning. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about the temperature of my house, but my coffee will only stay hot for like 25 minutes. Mm. Anyway. Um, hmm. I'm over here sending <laughs> emails. <laughs> wow. Clickety clack. Over here just. Ann Thompson over here. Everyone's doing emails. Okay, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are we? This is Movies IMO. Welcome to Movies IMO. We are your fave film faggots. Here to chat about Chinima. My name is Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben Empey. And this week we're doing things a little bit differently. What? So we had originally planned on discussing picking apart, celebrating, punk rocking out to the new John Cameron Mitchell joint, How to Talk to Girls at Parties, We Are Your Friends. How to Murder Girls at Parties with Farts. We Are Your Friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually do want to talk about this for a second. Okay. To quote Mary Tyler Moore in Flirting with Disaster, uh, yes, we're going to talk about this. Nice. A24 releases How to Talk to Girls at Parties. They a film, dump it. A film that premieres out of competition last year at Cannes. This was part of the three movies Nicole Kidman had at Cannes that year. So we got four The Beguiled. Projects. We got The Killing. We got four projects. We got Top of the Lake China Girl. We got The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And we've got How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Thank you, four projects. This is a movie that seems so easy to market. Yep. Nicole Kidman and a you know silver Bowie wig. She's playing a punk rock space alien. You've got... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Elle Fanning, who 
most of us love. And it seems to have a really exciting, energetic soundtrack. Yeah. And it played I, in Los Angeles for six days. Yeah. I, Someone explain this to me. I, I still don't I think it's get the it. same reason that they're moving under the Silver Lake. Why don't you say what that is? I think that Hereditary is coming out this Friday and they don't want to put any resources into how to entertain girls at the ball. I agree. <laughs> I, I think they're hold, I just, think they're holding back their radio play for the song of the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just I mean they they the campaign they've been doing for Hereditary has been insane. Yeah, I but just it's think like putting all their in liquid several cash ways. Into at least it. like leave how to talk to girls at parties and theaters for more than eight days. Well, like, no. Why not put it in a secondary theater market? Like, yeah. why are you like not pushing the it to the Limleys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and now, I mean, not to get regional here, but like in LA, we can put them in our, in our Limley art house chain. We got six of them across town. And they go forever, never, never, never. They go forever. Death of Stalin, as of last week, was still playing at the Limley in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I understand Let the Sunshine In is Claire Denis' highest US box office of all time. Since, uh, since, since Chocolate. Chocolat. 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 I, I always I always say Claire Denis' version is chocolate in my head Instead because the chocolat. the Miramax movie is chocolat, mm-hmm. even though one is actually French. Right. So anyway, so we're not talking about how to talk to girls at the ball. We are your friends this week because it wasn't it wasn't in theaters for us to see. We were not. We all if we had to have seen it much earlier <laughs> than yeah. we any of us planned. What just blows my mind because I don't like much, to watch the okay, movie much earlier in quotes like. Three days, the, the, yeah. right? We we had a three day half window a week earlier. We had a see it. tiny window to I'm see it. I'm bummed out. Like, I am too. It better come to V. It better be like a quick. It better VOD. be on VOD now. Yeah. Like well, a, it should have been like a same day. It's frustrating because like this is I, more fun. I think because it's just like I would have seen it in theaters if same. if I would've. I'd had a second weekend opportunity. Yes, I would have gone even if we weren't recording it. What confuses me so much is that even though the quote unquote buzz was bad, the reviews were not super strong. This seems like it seems like a critic-proof movie for a certain type of art house audience. Mm-hmm. It, From it, the director of John, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It's a John Cameron Mitchell drawing movie. Nicole there's Kidman an, as a space audience. rock alien. Yep. And isn't the well, I don't I can't remember if the boy lead is in anything right now. But the boy is someone I forget who it is. Alex Sharp. Yes. Who was Tony in Award winner. Winner. Billy, was it for Billy Elliot? No, he was uh, the curious case of the dog in the oh. nighttime incident, whatever. Nice. That's Wait, called. so how old was he when he won, do you think? Like 16? No, he's older. They plucked him out of Juilliard. Oh my nice. God, he's 29. He's older. Oh, it's been a while. He's already right older than me. Wow. I thought he was like 15. Um, but Al Fanning is like 15 in my mind. He's a bit but of a But like, the whole point here is like, we're on the coasts. Like, mm-hmm. I think because, and maybe Brandon feels the same way, and maybe you do too, but you were close enough to San Francisco. Growing up in the Midwest, when you were in like a secondary or third tier market, mm-hmm. I understand the frustration about coastal privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to being a cinephile and how much access you have to so many different movies. Yeah, Detroit. I totally get that. So if we're not even getting this movie, is no one getting this movie? Yeah. Like across the country, which is Ugh. which is insane. I was very privileged with growing up in Santa Rosa, California, star of Shadow of a Doubt. And has a brief cameo in The Birds, Hitchcock's favorite I've, city in the world. I've been to the uh, the house or the the school the schoolhouse the school yard the, in The Birds, where next to where the playground is. The playground's mm-hmm. not there, yeah. And, but yes, I've been to that in Bodega Bay. I've yeah. been there. Well, that's in Bodega. I know, There's but Bodega and Bodega Bay. 
Oh, it's not in Bodega Bay? There are two different cities, like 10 miles apart. I think we must have just gone to Bodega Bay. There's a composite shot of where they just cut out five miles of land in the birds to make the schoolhouse look like it's on the beach. You know what? I had rewritten the memory. It's in a fucking field. It is. In my head, I'm like just looking to like looking straight ahead. Got the schoolhouse. Looking to the right, there's the cliffs and rolling waves. Yeah, look at you manufacturing your memories. Wow. Yeah, no, yeah, it's changing just in, like, your memories. Um, but what I was gonna say is, we had uh, the Rialto Cinema. That was we had a very like oh, great nice. art house, like cinema. old school movie palace type mm-hmm. thing. No, it was a multiplex. So Rialto it, sounds like I know it was a I multiplex, mean, but it just had neon, like being, great be, cinema always. Cinema. Being Detroit, you're we, we're like the though. third market, second or third yeah, market sure. down, second I mean, or third tier, and like I would have to drive 30 minutes to see things, yeah, like, and hopefully know, not swerve me, on yeah. ice on the freeway. Yeah, hence me spinning off the road to see all these movies. But um, yeah, it's weird that How to Talk to Girls at Parties just got dumped the way it did. It's yeah. really bizarre. Like I see it having. A market, Nicole Kidman and Al Fanning. It's a. It could easily, and I don't mean this in the internet way. Like it could easily be a memeable movie, mm-hmm. you know, about yeah. about images and about little scenes and moments that kind of get spread around. Like, wonder, oh, it's not good, but there's a scene where Nicole Kidman says "faggot," mm-hmm. which I understand is in the film. Oh, <laughs> oh, really? I That's, think so. I thought I saw I someone wanna, say that on. The I want to gift the shit out of that. So yeah, it, it's it's a bummer, and you know I'm not surprised that you didn't have access to that sort of stuff in Detroit because my understanding and my only basis here is the film it follows, but y'all just like break into abandoned houses and yeah, any ha- string up cans and hopefully no specter like any from, film that takes place in Detroit is no like looming specters we will pop need in. A, a city that's dilapidated and sad. Okay, got it. Oh, are you not an It Follows fan? No, I love It oh, Follows. Okay. I'm it. just saying no. like. I love the way Detroit gets used in movies, but it's usually like we need a a sad. It used to empty be like a beacon city. of American industry. Yes. Like mm-hmm. in the movies, there's there's a, I don't remember what movie it's in, but there's a big like MGM show number about going. Isn't to it the Detroit. Blues Brothers? No, from the forties. Oh, but now like it follows uses it for like a dilapidated. But actually, it follows uses it not just visually but thematically. I think so, the too. The way they, they cross over. It's like them mm-hmm. crossing into adulthood across. But also that shitty horror movie we saw oh, that everyone yeah. liked. But Brandon and I had the time of our lives don't at, don't, look now. at Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe Now. Um, a couple years ago. Don't Breathe. Like we, that uses Detroit yes. as a setting. I, less creatively than what's it that, Isn't there a character named Money in Don't Breathe? Jesus. Money's prob- dead. Probably. I haven't read much reporting on Detroit the past couple of years, but like right when I got out of college in 2013, I like read a book on it and I did a lot of research on Detroit and I, and I, when I was working in reality TV, I helped cast a documentary about urban farming in Detroit and I got very interested in the ways in which, I mean, okay, I don't need to launch into a whole thing here, but I wish that there were more movies about the black experience in Detroit and what's Mm -hmm. going on now. You know, not and I love it falls too, but like not just as a playground for like white suburban kids to like mess around in, but like that's what's happening in yeah, Detroit I right mean, now. Detroit extreme gentrification where it's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like I said, like I haven't done much reading in the past couple of years, but for a while I was reading like a lot of stories about how like the fire departments are underfunded and houses are constantly burning down because either you know, there are fires or people are setting them on fire. Mm-hmm. Like there there is no pub there's no access to public services in Detroit. Um 
anyway, so it didn't even need to be a documentary, but like, and I, and for all I know, there are movies that I'm just not aware of, you know, the last few years about the black Well, yeah, experience. all Central of the movies Lowe's Michael Moore has Detroit. made about his hometown. Right, but that's not what I mean. I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, oh quite Michael Moore. Quite Michael Moore. Yeah, I mean, if, okay, I'm not, I mean, Flint still doesn't have a clean water. Okay. Anything else on the topic of um, Michigan? Detroit. <laughs> Detroit, <laughs> of, Michigan. Of my hometown? Hmm, let me think. Um, no. Okay. So, w- in summation, we were not able to see the film <laughs> that we planned to watch this week, How Correct. to Court Girls at Balls, We Are Your Friends. Yes. And so instead, and I guess we already talked about this on the last episode, but I'm really trying Recap. to give context for everything now. So it's not like you have to listen to the old episodes to understand. So we were discussing in the group text. I think we have to give something to the longtime listeners. Oh, well, I agree. More. No, I mean. More we, than we, should, we have to give to first Well, look, I would, love to get some, I would love to get some longtime listeners on the horn, but we'd have to set up a voicemail service first. Oh. I believe. Can we start soliciting people for a theme song? Yeah, on Twitter. I was thinking about that this morning. Hell yeah, we should. Oh, we should see if anyone. That's a great idea. Is it time for a theme a song? A theme song. We're a bunch of fags. Film I mean, fags. There if is... you are a musician, <laughs> please write us a theme song. I want. I want everyone who's listening, who's a longtime listener, first longtime listener, eventual first time caller, eventual mm-hmm. first time jingle writer for us, mm-hmm. to think about how many times they've heard as a listener. Brandon Kirby say, okay, shut up. Mm-hmm. And now I want you to think about how many times we, Ben We has, don't put it in anymore. We do. put it in. So you, so it's you just don't, not always So you don't top. listen to the show. I mean. Well. <laughs> well, Ben edits it. I, I, I pro- through. I proofread it. Mm-hmm. So I, Ben and I both hear it every week. And Ben must hear it like 20 times because he has the audio clip isolated and decides where to place oh, it. Oh, do we need a new clip with the no, new mics? No, no. What, what I'm saying okay, is. Okay, shut how. up. But I, my whole. Ooh, do it again without me talking over you. Wow. One more time. I just wanted to do a jingle. Did that do? Did he did he? Hey, we're the film fags. All right, continue. So I just think about. Okay, shut up. Nice. My whole point was that Ben and I aren't sick of it. So why would we? Why would we eliminate it? We've heard it so many times. We've heard it millions of times. It's part of my soul. It makes me happy. It fills me with joy. We assigned ourselves a prompt for the week. We said. Maybe we should do a theme. Ben sent a infamous moment, an important moment in television history of Jane Krakowski as Jenna Maroney saying in gift form. What if the theme was sluts? <laughs> Which just set off fireworkers on the group chat. If I'm being fireworkers. Mm-hmm. The documentary Fireworker about Leon Vitale's right-hand man. Yes. Who's the right-hand man to Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. His pyrotechnic uh, advisor. Wonderful. <laughs> set off fireworks in the group thread, and we decided that we were going to make the theme for the can, week. Can I say why I wanted to... Why, yeah, of why course. I did say already. I, Brandon, I Brandon this is a confessional podcast. I was the one who jumped on it and was like, no, can the theme actually be sluts? Because I didn't want my uh, rewatch of Short Bus to go to waste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we all had to bring in a film on the topic of sluts. Let's get it out in the open first. By sluts, we do not mean some sort of shamey, sex-negative you know, shame on you, wagging my finger. None of that. Very sex positive on this program. Sluts just means movies that involve sex and movies that involve breaking outside of the the normative boundaries of sex. Two movies could be construed as sex negative, but I think they are not. Well, 
Yes, exactly. So, so let's. Uh, why don't we introduce? I'll go last. You're, Brand- you're, you're two. Yes, I think so. So I'll go last, Brandon. Oh, I'm going first. So we're, we are now introducing <laughs> the films that we've all brought to the table tonight. I have assigned as homework for us uh, John Cameron Mitchell's 2006 film Short Bus, um, starring nobody. And uh, starring the amazing of, Sukian Lee, who of, I believe we'll talk about later. Other well, everyone okay. Like, Jet in the general in sense, yeah. she's a celebrated Canadian DJ. All right, which I learned thirty minutes ago. Wow, should, I guess I should do my research. Wow, I love research. Um, I love that IMDb masquerades as research on film podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to give us a little plot? Yeah, what's going on in the short bus? Oh, uh, short bus is give a little plot synopsis. Short bus is a um, a erotic comedy, sex comedy, which it involves unsimulated sex, penetrative sex. Um, mm. it, was, it was a little controversial when it came out. It was uh, it made a splash in the indie scene. A splash? It made a sploosh. A sploosh. Three and a half sploosh. from our dear Roger. A bigger yes. sploosh. Roger oh, Ebert that enjoyed is it. so Rog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you I, have the review pulled up? No, I didn't read it. I meant to. I, I, I remember seeing that, though. I didn't time. have time. I took a two-hour nap before right. this. <laughs> <laughs> I was very busy. Sorry, bitch. I'm well-rested. Mm-hmm. Um, it follows a uh, different couples and individuals who each have, like, you know, the the there's a sex therapist who can't hasn't ever had an orgasm. There's uh, a gay couple who are like playing with the idea of being open, I think, mm-hmm. and then uh, like other characters. And, and there's they... like a rich kid who wants to get hit by a dominatrix, and we yes. follow the dominatrix. Yeah, and, and everybody's and then... just trying to get to the core of the Big Apple here. Yeah, yeah, and everyone converges in this like sex underground sex party, which apparently called short, called short, bus. short bus, which is apparently modeled after real parties that from existed. the Weimar Republic. Huh? I'm just. I was gonna talk about cabaret for a second. Oh, oh well, my sorry. Name. Didn't mean to derail. Wow. Um, cabaret, which I still haven't seen because <gasps> I'm a monster, <gasps> a heterosexual monster. <laughs> no, I'm, Brandon's gay now. I have finally. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk yeah, about that later. I'm. I'm officially gay. Well, is it official now? I still yeah. haven't seen cabaret. Um, I'm making my way to being a full gay man. Mm-hmm. Um. What am I saying? It's modeled off real sex clubs that existed in the early 2000s in New York City. It's a very post 9-11. We'll get into it. But that's Short Bus. Nice. Short Bus. Short Bus. Short Bus. A film by JCM. JCM. Someone that I know Ben has spoken with on Grindr. And (laughs) I have too. (laughs) Speaking of Ben. Ben, Ben, Ben. (laughs) I will say, I saw Hedwig on Broadway more times than I would care to admit on the podcast because of the money that it cost, but I saw Neil Patrick Harris, and that like was mind-blowing, and then John Cameron Mitchell replaced him, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris uh-huh. is, and I never saw the stage production, but I have the original cast recording, he is the sitcom version of Hedvig as far as I'm concerned. He's really really good though. But I didn't see him. So you're right because I've only heard the soundtrack. 
but he tries so hard to hit all his syllables mm-hmm. and to enunciate. And it's so, it's like what I don't like about Neil Patrick Harris hosting the Oscars yeah. is that he's constant. You can feel he's him winking. Hard. You can feel him winking at the audience. And is Neil Patrick Harris hosting the Oscars? He no, hosted he the Oscars once upon a time. What? The Birdman year, I think. One of those years. Do you not remember that? Did I black that out? It was out? bad. It was so, remember the box? It was Oh, the, it was no. the year after Ellen. And, and oh no, Ellen in the pizza, and he like tried to recreate it. Oh. Every single time we cut back from commercial, that he was, was like, of... "Let's go viral!" Here's a box with the winners in it. That and was... Cameron Diaz is just rolling her eyes in the audience. Not a good so box. Bleak. That was one of the worst Oscars, Oscar telecasts ever. Yeah, but when John Cameron Mitchell does Hedwig, everything feels effortless. Mm-hmm. It feels fuck you. It feels tossed off the cuff. Yeah, because he's, he's the OG. rough around the edges, and he doesn't give a shit about your, your Lena you. Lena Hall like, on that recording though is stunning. Very good. Very good. Zero. Very good. It Very gives good me zero. chills when I listen to her. Did she win the album. Tony? She did. Yes. Mm. Won mm. all the Tonys. All of them. Wow. Speaking not all of them. Of, Maybe not directing, but I won revival speaking, and acting. And... Speaking of Stonies. What film did you bring in to talk oh. about this week, Benjamin? I brought Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves, Martin Scorsese's number six film of the 90s, and Roger Ebert's number seven film of the 90s. Wow. And I think I think the National Society of Film Critics number two of the 90s. Nice. I think. Um, it's very good. It is the good. earliest film that I personally saw that is the prototype of a Ben Empey protagonist. <laughs> um, and it like really has put me on a path that I've Shouty, been Shouty, emotionally malformed. Yep. <laughs> Women who are seen Punished. as crazy by everyone around them and slow. And she's... She's stupid, but she's good at this. She's good. And, and she's just good. Mm-hmm. She's good. Um, it's a film about a woman, a young woman, who feels too intensely. She just feels too much. She's mad at her husband, her soon-to-be husband, because the helicopter bringing him back to the mainland is late. And apart from the first scene when she's <laughs> telling the religious elders, like, mm-hmm. his name's Jan. Mm-hmm. I love him. This is the next time she talks about him, and she's angry that she's, he's late on his helicopter yeah. to get to their wedding. <laughs> to get to their wedding. Um, and that first shot of Emily's face, it kills me. I watched an interview with her today that's on the Criterion. It's on Filmstruck. It's 17 minutes. Of, we don't even hear the other person. It's just her talking. And she says, you know, he never turns the camera off. He just do the scene over and over and over. So by the like seventh take, you are in this like wild emotional space. And that's what she is doing at that point. Anyway, we'll get into that too. More on that because I definitely have shit. Um, it's a movie about a young woman who gets married and is enjoying sex for the first time. She lives in a very, very conservative, you could say cultish mm-hmm. sect of Christianity. Uh, yeah, you could. Um, and it's some wild, wild country. She, her husband is a works on an oil oil rig. rig. That's the word. And he gets injured, and he becomes paralyzed from the waist down. And he asks her to start sleeping with other men, and she's against it. But she submits to his will in a way, and she starts fucking to 
save him. And it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I guess we can talk about this more when we get into it, but because you paused between saying that he asks her to sleep with men and she gets angry and then eventually submits to it. When he first says to her, like, take a lover, like, you, we, we can never get divorced in this small town. Like, mm-hmm. we will be kicked out. It'll never be allowed. But you can take a lover. Please go mm-hmm. satisfy yourself. Mm-hmm. She gets so mad. It's like that scene in Blade Runner 2049 when Ryan Gosling finds out he's not the chosen one. He just like shakes and it's like, (laughs) fuck! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She basically has that reaction. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So good. So that's Breaking the Waves, Lars von Trier's best movie. Featuring the music of Elton John and David Bowie. Yeah. And probably one of the only ones that's not misogynistic, even though I think he intended it to be and because of Emily Watson it's not Lars von, <laughs> Lars von Trier I thought about that a lot I when think I it's all in her performance I do too I do too 100% because she has just punished the entire time for being pure and good mm-hmm. but there's a way that you can interpret this film as like kind of condescending to that character like she's mm-hmm. so stupid and simple like right. that the world kicks the shit out of her but with Emily Watson she becomes a saint mm-hmm. quite literally yeah I think on the IMDb trivia page, uh, there is something about Lars von Trier, some quote where he's like, I just like set up to make the stupidest movie possible, and I knew that people would love it. I've if, heard if that. It was, if it I was think dumb. that's a bullshit comment. Well, I think it's a bullshit comment, too. I mean, if you think about the last, I was going to talk about this later, but the final, and we'll talk about what this means later, but the mm-hmm. final title card, mm-hmm. and the song is David Bowie's Life on Mars, mm-hmm. and there's the line in that about how the film is a saddening bore. Mm-hmm. He's just like, totally giving you the middle finger like mm-hmm. he's well aware that he's just made you trudge through two hours and 40 minutes of grueling punishing while also spiritually transcendent mm-hmm. cinema but that it's long that it's not really concerned with basic cinematic language to hook your attention in automatically mm-hmm. and i think that there's more in life on mars that we can talk about later but like He's that song has so many references to what's going on on screen, but mm-hmm. I I just busted a gut for the first time in that movie when Bowie got to the line about the movie being a saddening bore, mm-hmm. and you know Von Trier was cracking up when he, he did. was. That's funny, asshole. He is an asshole. He is. He truly is. I will quickly put my film on the table, and then we can jump into short bus. I brought Miss Agnes Varda. If you're nasties, le bonheur. The boner. The boner. Direct translation. The boner. My ne- I was, the next thing I was going to say is, and which one of you wants to be first to make the joke? <laughs> Me. I mean, the boner. It, it's a movie about unchecked boners in a lot of ways. It so is. Le Bonheur is about a young French married couple with children, and their names are Francois and Therese, mm. and they seem to be idyllically happy together. They seem mm. to be very settled. Their life is... Uh, simple, but filled with warm nooks and crannies of life. They have a routine. They have a very small but cozy house. The kids are cute and not too fussy, but they do involve a lot of work. And Francois... They nap in a little mosquito net. I love that. I love their mosquito net It's so sweet. And I also love that Francois and Therese have a bed with no headboard, but they've just like thumbtacked in like a burlap potato sack or something oh i didn't notice that yeah i've or, seen it twice or if, if it is that. some sort of headboard it's like very thin mm-hmm. paper but it's just like they don't they don't need material like crazy material mm-hmm. objects to be happy like they are living a fulfilled life to have le bonheur le bonheur, le bonheur. what is bonheur what is happiness so anyway long story short 
Francois begins an affair with a postal worker, Emilie. And the film is sort of exploring him justifying to himself how he is able to love his wife and love his lover he and, and how so he reconciles them or give. not. Yeah. More on that later. So he says. This, yeah, so, so he says. I, like, because I'm much more familiar with Varda's documentary work, like, I've seen Cleo from 5 to 7, and I think that's it for the narrative films. Like, I've seen, like, six or seven yeah, of her documentaries, so I've seen. I'm much more familiar with that style, and I love her so much as a filmmaker because of her documentary work, even though I'm now, I gotta, fin- I gotta keep digging into the narrative work. But... I wasn't expecting something as like something as ironic as this mm-hmm. and pointed and and kind of it's not a mean or nasty movie, but she's dealing with very dark subject it is matter. Quietly brutal. Yeah. Exactly. That's a great way of saying it. It's quietly like the, brutal. The it's deceptive. Score, mm-hmm. The score that plays over everything. All these everything. little Mozart reveries yeah, and scenes like of so nature. Bright. And vibrant colors. And beautiful and it's it, yeah. It's not until you're like an hour in that you realize that it's all just been this justification, this bullshit smokescreen in order mm-hmm. to make up for the deep rot at the center of it with our protagonist. Yeah. I think. Yes. No, th- totally. I didn't get to read all I of it. I journaled about it and I used almost that exact phrase. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I didn't get to read all of Amy Talbot's essay journaling. in the Criterion box set. Mm. I only read the first three sentences. You also took a two hour nap and didn't have time. That's correct. I did. Why is everyone napping? I want to nap. <laughs> we're we're sleepy boys. I, so you I not I, have to get to work until like eleven o'clock right now. Excuse I mean, I went me. I went to work at eleven my, o'clock today. My too. call is at seven thirty tomorrow. Have you know? We, oh, okay. Well, uh, this has been movies IMO. <laughs> it's nine forty-five p.m. Brandon is a sleepy boy who needs to, to lay his to head bed. to sleep. Brandon has to go. He's got to go. <laughs> I only read the first three sentences of Amy Tabin's essay because then I was like, you know what? I'll read this later. And then I took a two-hour nap and never got back to it. But she basically posits the idea of like, is this guy a sociopath? Like, is Varda sick? Is but she's like, it's so it Varda doesn't tell you. How how to feel right so because it in a way she does because the film is so aggressively cheery and simply uh we'll talk about and all that going in at home yeah but we'll, in its way and we'll talk Do about you want to start with the boner no i don't I wanna, let's conclude I, with the boner. Well, i want to conclude with the boner as most good things do Nice. As any day should. Nice. And now we're going to start As with any the boner. night with the boys we're gonna should. Start with the other boner. We're going to start with the boner with short bus which literally starts with a boner. Yeah. In Many the, boners. Several boners. Several boners. Lots of sex. <sighs> a lot of sex. A lot of cum. Um, a lot of fisting. A lot of fucking. A lot of whipping. There's fisting? I'm just saying verbs involved oh, you're in just, sexual I mean, there, there was probably fisting somewhere in that room. There was a whole massive orgy. A lot of skin. A lot of limbs. Mm. A lot of appendages. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of it? bouncing butts and balls. <laughs> <laughs> When she sits on the ball and does the therapy. And yeah. it's not the only time people sit on balls in this movie. Oh. I'll tell you that much. Oh. oh. I mean, the, the, the movie became known for that Star Spangled Banner scene, which I forgot. I hate that scene. Really? Where does everybody fall on this movie? I watched it yesterday Nobody and I don't remember a Star Spangled Banner movie. Huh? A Star Spangled Banner scene? You're like, yeah. Are we talking about Kenneth Anger? The or? three, the three gays are fucking, uh, uh-huh. and then they pause to like oh, sing into their boners it's like and buttholes. Bad, wow. provocative political art. I didn't hate that moment. It's just 
But I don't like the movie very my, much. I wonder if this is... I think I like it the least. I haven't put a star rating on it. but His... I, his two and a half. Daniels is two and a half. And my log is very uh, mocking of the mm-hmm. film. Yeah. But... I think I'd give it a two. So... Jesus. Let I want to I want to have a I want to square away with Ben and then I want you to say why you love it. But I don't love it. Four stars. I like it a lot. That's great. I actually liked it better this time than when I did when I watched it in whatever year I watched it, 2009. Had I seen this? I remember seeing the trailer for Short Bus at my local art house in downtown Dayton, Ohio. Wow. This is around the time that I waited until my parents were out of town, and then I had someone sneak me down to that theater to see Transamerica. Nice. Just a glimpse into my childhood. But Ooh, I remember the short Felicity Huffman Academy Award nominee. That's right. <laughs> Thank I you. I was rooting for her that year. <laughs> and now I'm afraid to watch the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very happy that Reese won for Walk the Line. But watching the short bus trailer, when having a very sexually limited repertoire at that time. So this is 2006, so I'm, what, 15 years old? But, like, sort of, like, know that I'm a faggot. Hmm? It just sounds like you're so young. I am young. When we discuss, like, our ages. I'm a baby. Back then. I'm a little baby. I'm a little baby who likes the movies. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Wah, wah. (laughs) Wide frame. (laughs) Rack focus. And feed me. What are you saying? Well, continue. <laughs> just that it was, just that it was a, a moment where I was like, "Fuck, I want to see that fucking movie. I'll never be able to get down here and see this because I don't drive, mm. and I am gonna stick myself in the repression chamber for another six months after this because it'll. It, there's so much queerness on mm-hmm. screen. Yeah. So I just I have a very distinct memory of seeing that trailer repeatedly in the theater, probably before like. I don't think I have seen the trailer. Okay. There's the the scene where um where Sukyun Lee's character is like in the beginning the opening fucking montage she's like pressed up against the glass of the doorway mm-hmm. and we shoot yeah. from the other side of the window and so yeah. we like see her pushed up against it. And I th- I think there must have been some sort of like blurring or they probably mm, just right. made the glass foggier. Yeah, right. I feel I would love to. I should have watched it again before coming in here and like actually had more of like a cogent before and after. Too much napping. I just was exhausted from all the napping. Too much just napping. stop napping. You I had dumb bitch. So last wow. week, last wow. last week, and then I'm gonna stop talking. Last week after we recorded our episode, and Brandon talked about um, swerving out of control on the highway, on the icy highway, on the way to see the wrestler. I had a dream where I was going 90 miles an hour down the freeway and falling asleep at the wheel, but fully aware of what I was doing and couldn't wake myself up. Very Tully. Very Tully. Very Tully. Very Tully. Very Tully Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's all my time. Thank you all so much. I just didn't like the acting in this movie. Which is is fine. Which is very fair. It made it very hard for me to connect with it emotionally. I, I didn't agree. care about anyone. I know. No. Yeah. It's I, like, it's an experiment of a film and I yeah. think it has a very good message, but it's just like the way that the acting is done makes it feel very cruel to me. James just it's pouts a with a haircut and literally sucks his own It's a cynical dick. movie to me. How so? It's like, it's like the thing that friend of the podcast, Jeffrey McCran, yeah. said in his letterbox log. It's an interesting log. That I can back him up is, on this. Uh, it's like you're watching a party that you weren't invited to or a club. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is, I get this like 
it is like they're all in on a joke that the audience is not in on, in my opinion. See, okay. I yeah. love Jeffries a lot because I just think that's such a clever way of putting it. Mm-hmm. But that's not really how I see the movie because I don't see these people as like smarter or more exclusive than me. I see them as characters in a movie that is about something. And that, like, the question seems very obvious to me. Like, all the questions about sex, about pleasure, Mm -hmm. about how everybody's reaches that climax differently. Everyone wants something different in a relationship. Everybody gets off in a different way. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't learn anything from this movie. And yet, the movie is constantly, like, putting forward these platitudes. Or having, like, Ed Koch as a character. Like, now he's out and at the club. As himself. Right. As a version of himself. Yeah. So I don't... The mayor. The mayor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like seeing him talk about the AIDS crisis. Like, I understand why on like pitching that to an investor is like, this is the most like, uh, in a way, transgressive, like political act we're going to put on screen. And it's going to be provocative and it's going to make queer people rethink things. It's going to make straight people see this rethink things. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. It's just like a bunch of like, I'm going to ask all these questions and everybody's going to be curious and intellectually Mm -hmm. stimulated and none of it, none of it piqued my interest. But then at the same time, I'm like, this movie was made in a way to destigmatize sex by showing it in its messy, glorious, you know, it's messy glory. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And I like I, that it is, like it is a too. political attempt at sex positivity. Yeah. I just, I'm with Ben. I think the acting is terrible apart from Sookin Lee, who like should have been nominated for the independent spirit award, I think, and makes, since her character is sort of the arc of the film, mm-hmm. keeps me invested through the whole thing. She is the best thing. Even, She's the engine. Even though like, again, it's like, so we're going to have a sex therapist. Oh, she prefers couples counselor who's never had an orgasm. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm totally down to watch a movie about a woman trying to have an orgasm for the first time, but don't make her a fucking sex yeah. therapist. It's like, oh, the irony. Yes. It kills me. <laughs> anyway, it's just like a way to get her in touch with the Jamie characters who are... Right. Well, the one Jamie is a terrible actor. The, He's just pouting with a haircut. The Again. weepy one? No, the other one. The, the child actor one. one? Yes. Oh yeah. god, I was I meant the other one, but oh yeah, he's not great either. The so only let's... scene that I liked the acting is before their threesome with the kid. Who is shouldn't very say hot. the kid, but the young man. The young yeah. man. And there's like a moment of authentic emotion before they start having sex. And I was yeah. like, why didn't they get to this point for all of it? In in it being about like the ambivalence and the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Like in I totally agree with you. They're, on that. they're like that's they're sitting on the scene. couch. Yeah. They're talking. I was and, like, and, that's, and, this and the very younger real. man, the younger man is like, you know what? I'm gonna go. And yeah. Then they have to convince him to stay. Mm-hmm. And they all know that they're there to have sex. Yeah. But how do you initiate that? Yeah. Right. They're all in tough positions. Mm-hmm. One is the third coming into a couple. One is the half the couple that's way too concerned with the other one, and then the third one is too concerned with himself. Like, mm-hmm. how do we get this going? Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. I like that scene. Yeah. That seems Relatable. very good. The the old mayor scene I actually think is quite lovely um, with the song and how it all comes together and everyone's having their like emotional low point in that mm-hmm. not low point but like emotional oh, it's very emotional at that moment. Um, God, what do I like about this movie? Yeah, um, let's talk about things we liked about it. I'm sorry, Brandon. I didn't mean to. No, just I don't care. I mean, I w- I'm a little surprised you guys didn't like it as much as I mean, not really, because because you're right. The acting is a little bit rough, but the way John Cameron Mitchell had to cast the movie was it was like untitled sex project Mm -hmm. and he 
put a casting call out that was like, do you want to be in a movie that explores sexuality and sex and you will be having real sex? Like, mm-hmm. and it's, it's radical. And it's, it is. And, and the, and he, along with just getting people who are comfortable doing that, he was also curating their stories mm-hmm. right. and their sexual, you know, issues it's or experiences so Lee, in a way. Yeah. And I read that in a review that they compared his pre-production process to Mike Lee's in that, like the nice. way he wrote it, like with as as he was casting it with mm-hmm. with the actors, I think it's so admirable. It reminds me of a chorus line. <clears throat> oh, sure. Which I can't remember who wrote it at the moment, but they just interviewed hundreds, if mm-hmm. not thousands, of people who worked in the chorus line on Broadway, and they made a musical out of that. Yeah, and they just took real life stories, and there's the beautiful monologue by the homosexual man. And I love a chorus line. And monologues by homosexual. It's men. also Vicky's favorite musical of all time. <gasps> Hi, Vicky, Vicky. I need you to get on the horn here. <laughs> yeah. And let Hello. us know when you are avail for the You've Got Mail episode. I know. Oh my God. I can't we need wait. to figure out it. And I, we that. need to say this on mic as many times as possible. So hopefully, like, we will have like one listener who keeps DMing us. Like, when does that? When's happen? the You've Got Mail? Okay. Well, you don't need to use a voice. <laughs> That's just rude. When's the Vicky episode? You're like Lars von Trier. You're just like shitting on the audience. Oh. Wow. Oh, I'm no Jean-Luc Godard. That's but. true. Um, I just, people are shitting on things like 10 times in the past five minutes. We, One other thing that I want to add on to I what Brandon said. It's also... <laughs> this is all I am. I think it's so brave of John Cameron Mitchell. I and think really demonstrates. Brave. Well, I think that's brave. And demonstrates his true colors out as an artist that he is coming off Hedwig and the Angry Ant, Sundance Sensation. Best Director winner. Best Director winner. Racks Up Independent Spirit Award nominations. It was a bit of a moment. Mm-hmm. I don't want to blow it out of the water or anything, but what a striking, audacious debut. And, you know, Trask owes him everything mm-hmm. in terms of popularizing Hedvig. Yes. I mean, it's gonna it's coming out on Criterion later this year, apparently. Like, this mm-hmm. was an important movie by an important new American? Yeah. Is he Canadian? American? American. American artist. A queer voice in cinema. Mm-hmm. And this is like after the new queer cinema. This is like <clears throat> 2000. Like, mm-hmm. new queer cinema is over. Where are we going to go from here? And John Cameron Mitchell's like, I'm going to put my camera in a washing machine and it's going to go 360 degrees around in the watch cycle. And that he, he chooses. He was born in El Paso, Texas. Yes, he was. Nice. So for him to do this as a follow up <clears throat> and to. Like to use the cachet that he built up on that debut to create for this, this, yeah, I think is brave and also uh, just commendable to work on something so sex positive. Yeah, I. Um, what was the other thing I want to say about it? It it does feel it's it does feel very experimental. It does feel almost like a documentary. Bold approach to narrative. Um, you know the narrative that there is is very loose. Um, Bold, I'd say. I do think. I, I do enjoy it's very on the nose, but I do like. When I do she, think it's, it's on the I, tip. I, I I like when she, the sex therapist, gets to the pink light post. It's mm. so stupid and so on the nose, but it's so it's so good. I think you could She's get away amazing. with every single Everything thing in this script. movie if the acting was flawless. Yeah, sure. I I agree, and I found that yeah. frustrating watching it because I I, I, I like the story, I like the concept, mm-hmm. I like. This bold approach to narrative. The acting didn't bother me because I I view it almost as a documentary. Yeah. So I like, even though it's not, it's fiction. Mm-hmm. But no, but like you said, it's not actors. Oh, what was the other thing I want to say about it? Oh, you, so you, Daniel, 
I touched the mic. Let's all <gasps> do it just to make it. Ah! <gasps> um, wow, Daniel, went, uh, you thought the political nature of it was a little too on the nose, but I actually think. A little think too on the tip. A little too on the tip of the dick there. Um, but I, oh, I think tip of the dick. Say there. that again oh, ten times. Top fast. of the morning. <laughs> top of the morning to you, and a tip of the dick to you. Tip of the dick to you, sir. Tip of the dick to you, governor. Um, tip of the dick to you. I, Maya. I think the political. I. It's a very. It's 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 a independent American independent movie that's very of a specific moment, which is post 9-11 jingoism mm-hmm. um, severe nationalism and what's actually interesting is do you guys remember the blackout that happened the mm-hmm. east coast blackout the I blackout don't. that the Mr. characters santa rosa over here oh right you didn't fucking know we had, um, we he was, had he enron was plucking grapes from the vine we had enron and problems enron. over here <laughs> in this period of time so we didn't I, think everybody about. was scared so, of an earthquake yeah yeah so the northeast blackout of 2003 the the blackout that the character that happens at the end of short bus mm-hmm. before everyone like finally oh. has their orgasm is that blackout. Oh. Yeah, and it was famously caused by a mass orgasm. Exactly. Wow. Um no, it wasn't it the orgasm that cured the right. the blackout. Right. Yeah, the, blackout. the lights right, 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 come right, right, back right. on after they all come. Mm. Um mm. no, I just think it's a very um bold uh, I'm just glad the movie exists. I know it's not perfect. I am too. Sure. I, I think it's just very. I think it's exciting. I think it's a good piece of LGBT cinema. I, agree. I was thinking, that should not would... be thrown aside. I agree. And I was happy that some. I'm not going to remember the publication, but because I was do, researching, like doing a goog, doing some googling. Like, when was the last time someone talked about Short Bus? And it was actually recently. They someone wrote like. Don't forget about short bus. Nice. Um, when they skipped right over rabbit hole, but they were like, "Don't forget <laughs> about short bus." Yeah, I think it was a gay publication. They were like, "Don't forget about short bus" because John Cameron Mitchell's mm-hmm. next movie's coming out right. for mm-hmm. How to Talk to Girls. But I, I don't know. I think it's important. I think it's good. It's definitely not perfect. I have a soft spot for it, but I think, I think that you're probably because right. you got laid after. That's right. <laughs> so you tell the wait. Hold on. Tell that story. Let me it's fr- a dumb story. It's no, tell the story, story on the mic. Tell the story on the mic. Um, so I watched it with my college boyfriend at the time. He wanted to watch it because this it was- is another edition of the X Files <laughs> here on Movies IMO. He wanted to watch it because it was gay fucking. Mm-hmm. I wanted to watch it because I actually was interested in the the film of the it all. And at, I mean, of course, we had sex ever, but it was like. He didn't like the movie. I actually was pretty lit on the film. Yeah. That's, and, that's the that's it that's the story nice. and you and and you know not to put it too delicately but you did cure a blackout right out for the film if you know what nice. I'm saying what I I think that did you I cure think that you're the right, Detroit Brandon. car auto crisis in 2009 <laughs> after you watched it and yes then had an orgasm after? how dare Barack Obama and Joe Biden <laughs> take credit for that that was it, your victory it was me in Lansing Michigan wow. you you saved the auto industry from collapse. <laughs> And you know what? Short bus actually did. Wow. After the fact. <laughs> wow. I Brandon, I think that wow. I think that you win this. Most and you know, being a bit of a flippant bitch earlier to kick this segment off, just oh. the things I didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. But I and and specifically what I didn't like about the political context is that I could feel the thesis statement of it all. Like sure. I could feel sure. it feels the a academic noodling filmy. on the page. I wouldn't even say that. Although I know I know what you mean by that. Like that it just was a little on the tip. But tip of the dick to but you. But it's sir. a hey, tip of the dick to you, Governor. But it's very <laughs> important. Like that it's very exciting that <laughs> I can't 
can't talk when he's laughing like this. Nothing makes me happier than, than this one over here. Giggling. But Giggling I, how, how wonderful that someone made a movie in post 9-11 New York. Mm-hmm. Remember, Giuliani is the mayor at this point. Like, Giuliani is... You know, Giuliani like cleaned up New York, and you know cleaned it up. Exactly. Yeah, and I we're all mm. we're now we're all winking pretty obviously at the microphone here. But like Giuliani, America's mayor. You know, Mister Small Town Values in the Big City, like Mister New York Decency. Because we're we in New York now. We're about patriotism. We're not out of we're not about all those uh, all those sex clubs and porn theaters in Times Square anymore. Mm. We're about bright shiny Americana. Yeah, and it's great that this movie basically gave him the middle finger with a, with a hard cock. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I admire it for all of that. And and I'm, I think as a piece of queer cinema, it's important too. It does raise a lot of interesting questions, even though it is, feels kind of obvious to me on a couple of levels. And I think the acting is bad. It does feel like a vital document of its time. Yeah, that's, that's what I feel most strongly oh, God. about God, and then there was Michael Bloomberg. Well... We, this is not Mayor's IML. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just had to Google. Who the hell? I was like, who the fuck was in between them? Sorry. I just like needed to look that up real quick. Real quick. Um. All right. Let's move on to no, anything waves. else. Anything else? And then the mayor say? when I was no. there, Bill De Blasio. I love Bill De Blasio. Bill De Blasio. I mean, he hasn't fixed the subway, but but you know who will. <gasps> Cynthia. Miss Emily Cynthia. Dickinson. She's gonna fix the subway. Nice. Mm. Mm. Our subway system was built from antiquity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we going to talk about my movie now? Mm-hmm. We are going to make a splash in this segue. Take it away, Andrew. Benny Boy. Breaking the waves. Breaking the waves. When did you, you, when, when you break your wave? It's my favorite oh my line God. from the film. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's so upsetting. When you ring your bells. All right, let's just go right into the sex. Let's dive in. Let's oh, go. wow. <laughs> let's just get right into there. the sluts of it all. Again, so, we're not using sluts in a negative shaming context. She is a virgin. She has saved herself for marriage. She's a very religious young woman. Not necessarily by choice, but this is a woman who has dialogue with God. Mm-hmm. She literally, she communes with the Lord <laughs> and... She gives him this patrician, God, overbearing. Uh, are you there? I haven't heard from you in a while. Voice. Yes, Bess. <laughs> You've been asking too much of me, honey. I'm busy. And she's Arr, money, 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 money. A naive child. And she sits in the pew and she talks. Kneels. She kneels, kneels and just like clutches to a pew, <laughs> clutching. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That is. On paper, what this movie is, <laughs> yeah, but I, but it's uh, so well Emily done. Watson's tenderness and grace makes it like into something so much more. <laughs> she made this movie. Oh, she was my age, and it was her first screen credit. I'm really? relieved that she was my age. Yeah, she was doing theater. She knew the casting director. So tell this story that you texted to us from that yeah. 17 minute interview because Shh. I didn't know this and had I known this going in It changes the movie. I wouldn't have minded so much the cat air that was stuck in my eye for most mm. of the runtime. She says she was raised As in you a, pluck a cat hair from your mouth. A nail that I just bit because I'm a chronic nail biter. Same. Um she said in this interview, she was raised in what she would describe as a religious cult 
and she was starting to get interested in acting and she went out for this role. She didn't really talk to anyone about it and then she got the movie and she then had to tell people she's going to go make this movie and the religious elders cast her out and they there was a phrase that she used specifically something about going, you know, if you want to go live your disgraceful life or something like that about acting it's like act her acting in real life is the sex in the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she was literally going through this giving herself to others as she was making this movie about that God damn and it. she didn't tell anyone on set either that she was going through it she did like, lars know no that's uncanny. She didn't tell anyone until after because she didn't want it to like jeopardize anything. No, and, and that, like she's going through this emotional thing in life. Yeah, and, and I, I wow. love that it was private information because most of the movie is her holding on to a truth that mm-hmm. she believes to be a life saving force, and everyone around her, apart from like the the male elders, like from the goodness of their hearts, you know, just being like, "What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, you're gonna ruin your life here." Yeah, she's like, "I'm going to save his life," and. It's it's her prerogative, it's her secret, it's her mission, and it doesn't belong to anybody else. Yeah. I also love at the she said after Lars felt ready to move on, he'd be like, Okay, we'll do one more and look into the camera as much as you want. And I there's love... so much of that is in the movie. Yeah. Which I love. She said it happened every single scene. It happens before the or not before the title card, it happens before the first chapter card, yeah. which maybe we can talk about that. But where she does this very Magnolia, Melora Walters, whoever oh. plays the the woman, the the yeah, yeah, yeah. the woman in Magnolia the, who dates John C. Riley and uh-huh. his father. She's like, you know, listening to the music loud in her apartment. The last shot of the movie, Amy is her, Man, Amy Man. I just call her Amy Man. I mean, she mind. she embodies like, the spirit, and she has the mentally ill thing. Yeah, you know. Uh-huh. But Magnolia ends with her looking down and then looking straight into the camera. Mm-hmm. And Emily Watson does that five minutes into the film. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we cut from that to our first heavily stylized chapter card. Mm-hmm. Someone want to describe what this is. They're very painterly. They Hell are. Yeah. They're not... It's like watching someone paint a painting because they change as the scene yeah, they like goes on. Yeah, they slowly shift. And... How about when that rainbow appears in mm-hmm. chapter five or whatever? Yeah. Very bootyful. So what do we... And then, and like a rock music will play. Mm-hmm. And... Like a power, like fucking piano ballad. Yes. It's like, it, it's Goodbye Elbrick Road or Life, Life on, on Mars. Mars. Uh, is one of them Eleanor Rigby? Um, I don't think so. But I think there is like a Lennon song or... Oh. There, maybe not. Da, 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 is there da, Eleanor Rigby? Da, 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 I don't think that maybe. was. But I, I don't know. I watched it yesterday. I don't know. Same. I so we're talking about... Pin. So there, this movie is broken up into seven chapters, I think, and an epilogue. Mm-hmm. And we go from these... Which works out 20 minutes each perfectly. Oh, nice. By the way. So it, it's a... Like way. Brandon was saying, it's a heavily stylized, painterly, static frame of an ocean with an oil derrick in the background, of a cliffside with a small with the town in the movie down mm-hmm. in the bottom very little. And we're watching the clouds move around and we're watching the b- waves break and we're watching a rainbow appear. And we're watching a book a brook babble. Mm-hmm. And then like Ben says there is a like 70s 60 70s rock ballad playing. And then we cut from those moments to handheld you know as Ben was saying earlier, like Von Trier is not yelling cut, so it feels heavily naturalistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cut from that to like the Dogma 95 shit. It's the like 
hyper realism. Who wants to explain Dogma ninety five? I don't really know. Like I I know it, but I'm not well versed enough. Same. I just know that it's like it's an absence of form is the idea, and like it's this like French New Wave or Italian New Realism thing for the nineties. It's like the paleo oh. diet for cinematic language. Like, like you can just make a movie. Like acting is the only thing that matters, and you can shoot it on video. And I think this was shot on video, but I can't remember. No sets. Like, no lighting, mm-hmm. nothing. You can't bring anything into the frame that wasn't there to begin with. Yeah. Is essentially oh, the, the okay. premise of it. And, you know, and there was, like, a strict doctrine. Oh, they have, I like, mean, a list of it's rules. It's a dogma. Yeah, I and remember learning about so, it. Again. So this is, you know, for, for you know. Because I'm not a Lars von Trier stan. Neither am I. Despite how much I love no. this movie. This is... This was for a long time the one that I've seen, but now I have also seen Melancholia and Nymphomaniac. I love Melancholia. But, but so do I. This is this and, is... and you know what? If you haven't seen Breaking the Waves and you see Melancholia, think about some of the more epic, apocalyptic imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are what the stills yeah. look like. Yeah, the chapter that's a good in Breaking comparison. The Waves. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. It's really interesting the way that this movie looks. On Filmstruck because that's not how it looked. Because that's how DVD. I watched it too. How does it look on um, DVD? Is it is it like scrubbed clean or on Filmstruck? Yes. Interesting. So and there's more green and on the, it's on the more of, media. and it's more of a sepia tone. There but are some scenes in this movie that do it's sort of like, have a striking it's sepia tone. Very. The version I watched, warm. yeah, was super like grainy film. Yeah, very grainy. That's what I remember from when I used to watch it. I, when I was watching this movie on Filmstruck yesterday, about 30 minutes into the film, I'm having the time of my life because I'm watching Jan and Bess recently married just love the shit out of each other mm-hmm. and try new things. And, and he's opening her up to life. And there's that, um, maybe like the best shot of any movie of all time since Markward, when... John, other than the flatulent, other than the butts. other uh, other than the, the flat, other he, than the flatulent ass dip in MR Cord grips for farting when he grips for a nice <laughs> hold squeeze, for fart, hold for fart. The shot of Bess and Jan standing on the rocks and just like holding their bodies out mm, against the mm-hmm. wind, spread eagle is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my goddamn life. And then they go fuck. spread eagle, but, and then they go fuck. But so I'm I'm 30 minutes or so into this movie, I am just lit on love. And then I remember, I know the synopsis for the film. Yeah. I know what happens. And I and I put a thought in my brain. I'm like, remember these moments. Mm-hmm. Because you still have two hours and ten minutes to go. And Stellan Skarsgård, who is incredible in this film, mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård is going to be bedbound for the rest of it. So remember these moments because I'm sure that Bess is going to be acting on these moments later on. Like, this is what she wants to harness and, and, and hold close to her heart and, and come back to life. I mean, yeah. She's she's sleeping with all these men and to spiritually juice up her boy. Yeah, juice him up, juice him up. Let's let's. I love to juice. Let's move forward. Just keep this podcast moving. I'm cognizant of time. Onto Lebanon. No. Oh, I was like, we have not even. No, broken I mean, the first let's move yet. to when the the incident, the incident, and the fucking the. So, <laughs> Jan... It, yeah, it's not making love, as Jan, she points out. Jan is paralyzed from the neck down. Either a piece of equipment bumps him on the head. While he's trying to save someone else. When he takes off that helmet, that's when I was like, mm-hmm. fuck. It's happening. And then he says to her, you should take a lover. And she hates him, and then she decides to do it. And it's very... 
I do think on the script this reads as very misogynistic and he's instructing her to do something and then she does it but in the way that she plays it it is fully her choice Mm -hmm. yeah and she doesn't want to do it until she thinks that it's saving the man that she loves and this is where i think it gets really interesting because i can i can see how even this would read misogynistic on the page Mm -hmm. but as i mentioned at the top of the podcast at first he says to her like for yourself like please go keep learning about the world like Mm -hmm. keep spirit keep fulfilling yourself spiritually through sex because i knew that was a thing we had going on and you're only just now entering the world and i want you i don't want to hold you back go do this Mm -hmm. and then she's like you know ryan gosling and blade runner fuck yep and then the nurse friend tells him like she would do anything for you her sister-in-law sister-in-law once sister-in-law yeah oh right yeah sorry i missed that i actually missed that detail um i just thought they were good buddies (laughs) Oops. Good buds. But so she tells Jan, like, she'll do anything for you. And then Jan frames it. Mm-hmm. This will keep me alive. Yeah. And so there is something about how simple-minded she must be in order to be that malleable. Yeah. Because they all, the doctor and that yeah. the sister-in-law are like, he's using you. He's just a sick man who just wants to get his rocks off thinking about you and and then she ends up saving his life (laughs) like read it however you want but at the end of the film in this beautiful moment of magical realism that basically like not that i needed winning over but when that happened i was like oh okay so this is a perfect movie yeah oh yeah when the bells are in the sky i was like so best dies and that's when i was like you know what Fuck you, Lars. Like, mm. how dare you bring it to this level? Like, yeah. you are, you only because, like, you must be taking some sort of sick, sadistic pleasure out of watching her getting wheeled into a hospital and saying, like, let me see Jan. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, fuck you, man. Like, mm-hmm. I hate you. And then Jan gets better and he's back on the job. He's back on the order. And that's Eric. the most brutal shot is when you see Jan and he's, yeah. and he's able to walk with a cane again. Yeah. yeah. It's brutal, but it's also like. And you're like, oh, wait, she did it. She was right on she some did level. It. And, and and so when the doctor and when the sister-in-law are trying to like save her. Well, let me just say with the doctor. He's just like, I hate that character so much. Mm-hmm. Like in the, in the ways you're supposed to hate him. Like yeah. he's just another man who wants yes. to control. Actually. Jan doesn't even want to control her. Like no. he is a man who he really wants he is the best acu- for her. He's accusing Jan of doing everything he's doing, mm-hmm. which is yeah. lying and manipulating the situation so he can have her in his grip. Right. Yeah, I was surprised at how like, yeah, woman, woman power, woman she, like it's not it's power the, to the sheeple. It's she's not really making at all. all the choices that she wants to make, and you can disagree with what she wants out of her life. And I think that's where a lot of the misogynist criticism from this film comes from, is that she just wants to be married and to love someone. She's What's just wrong an, with that? She's just an open-hearted soul. And I think that she literally dies for a man, mm-hmm. rubs people the wrong way, but it is her choice. And you see it on her face that this is what she wants, mm-hmm. and she does not feel like a victim. It's a very Isabelle Hubert approach to a character. Yeah, that this is how unapologetic. She, yeah, she's just this is who she is. This is what she wants. I like that comparison because yeah. with Isabelle Hubert, it's more like an id, like an unchecked id, mm-hmm. which is her right. And with Emily Watson, it's just it's pure want. Yeah, 
but she wants something that is going to save another person. It's not selfish, even right. though it's, it, it is, I mean, it, it's a hundred percent her prerogative, mm-hmm. but it's not selfish. Right. It's ultimately tragic. Also, I think it's really interesting when people say that he's just manipulating her. All he said was take a lover. He doesn't say fuck, fuck the town. everybody. Fuck yeah. everyone in town. She does that because she thinks he gets better every time she does right. it. Yeah. I um I guess that I do understand on some level a misogynist critique around the idea of how do I say this? Of her dying for him. Yeah. But it's never his movie is why I don't think yeah. that's the case. Like the, she is she, just her the last tragic of, end. The last shot of the last it. shot of the movie. I, just... I do too, but the last shot of the movie pretty decisively says that she was put on this earth for a to to be a god, like to yeah. be a saint, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, we we all have friends who and are involved she... with people that that were like they're completely controlling you. Like, what are you doing? And they're like, no, I'm not. And sometimes you're right. And then other times it's like, you'll just never understand what's going on here. Right. And it's like, yes, she specifically saves her husband, but doesn't she change the hearts and minds of every single person that she's encountered in this movie by the end? And also, yes, men and women alike. She's touched the lives of dozens of people. But let's, I completely agree. And she probably changes things in that town because Mm -hmm. Bess McNeil is not going to hell. She talks in church Oh yeah, she's the first woman to. And do then, it. then the sister-in-law yells at the the men who, yeah, who are condemning them to hell. That who are you to say? That's that's when the moment that moment. I mean, it was already won over, but like mm-hmm. that moment in the movie it's really great. won me over. I was like, this is surprisingly like, like progress, like female power, yeah. female it's empowerment feminist. for Lars yeah. feminist. How I like feminist. Wow. That there's the word. There it is. Jesus Christ! It's, fine. it's because it's I late. Lars von Trier it's feminist. Four o'clock in the morning. They Brandon, don't Brandon, go you together. You put that sand in a coffin and it spilled out and you didn't have it anymore. <laughs> but yeah, he he's not a feminist. I mean, no. But like this movie is feminist. I think that what we're talking about feminism, everything everyone said is accurate about how she saved her husband, how mm-hmm. she changed things in the community, how she impacted all these lives. She also now doesn't have to live in this fucking town anymore (laughs) and is no longer dependent on a man. Like, Mm -hmm. and and again, it's sort of complicated and difficult. It's like, did she really have to die in order to realize that? And I would say when the movie is about the life of a saint, yes, (laughs) she absolutely does. And, And when we see that final shot of the movie, which is frankly one of the most beautiful, breathtaking images I've ever seen in a film, both in visuals and just in my fucking soul, Mm -hmm. where, so I'm gonna describe it. So, oh yeah. So, Jan. Jan snatches her body away from the Puritans mm-hmm. and then gives her a burial at sea, which is so tough. Like yeah. when he just can't let her go. And they're like, you gotta let her go. And then she slides into the sea and he's like, Bess. And then he's all despondent. He's in his bunk and his buddy is like, dude, you gotta wake up. Wake mm-hmm. up. And not in an angry way. And like he knows that this has been like the most difficult moment of Jan's life. And yet he is purely unabashedly like joyful Mm -hmm. and you could only have that if something celestial like was going on and so Jan wakes up they go up onto the deck he shows Jan the sonar which is not picking up Bess's body anywhere Mm -hmm. in the water and then all of the all of the oil men go up to the deck of the rig and there's this ringing of a bell Mm -hmm. and there's an earlier scene in the movie when Jan and Bess are talking about how much more they prefer a church with bells than being more like a solemn uh 
severe puritanical mm-hmm. and they're like enterprise. we don't have bells there's no bells there's no happiness here and so then all of the sailors or whatever are hearing this this ringing of a bell and we the audience are like where's that coming from what's happening mm-hmm. and then we cut to an extreme wide angle from up on high from the heavens of these two bells ringing in the sky down mm-hmm. over the oil rig i mean it doesn't it. get any better it's than that amazing it's yeah. unbelievably it's, beautiful yeah. it's insane it just is very profound. I think that misogynist critiques of this film come from the right place. I do too. Because while I was watching the film, I also had some problems. Yeah. But, and I don't even know if I want to say this on the microphone, but I will. If the movie was about a man who goes through all of this shit, and, and like obviously when a story is about a woman versus a man, it means different things. Mm-hmm. But on some level, I think that that's where Von Trier is being provocative. And the film is like understands that we bring in our own charged expectations for what a movie about this type of character looks like. Mm-hmm. And that if it was a man, we'd be like, oh yeah, a saint. And then we would do like the cross against our chest and not think about it twice. Yeah. But she's just, she's more deserving than that male character would be for sainthood. Yeah. I'm not, and so again, I'm not saying that we should look at stories the same way if they're men or women. Like obviously being a woman in a cloistered society means mm-hmm. a lot more different things than if it was a man, but that it is like this pure female character, I think makes it even more provocative because we are inclined to defend her Mm -hmm. in the same way that Michelle Wolf says, if you think that my joke was about Michelle or not Michelle Bachman, um, about Sarah Sanders looks, then that's, you're saying more about her looks than I was. Right. And I think there's an element of that going on in here. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Mm. I want to talk about Emily. Well, I just want to talk quickly about the um, something that I we're gonna get we're gonna get deep right now. Something that I really believe nice. in the world is like spirituality through physical things, and like this movie is about spirituality through sex specifically, yeah. and like this objective correlative of, and she. When when she speaks in church, she said she says, "How can you love a word? You can't love God yeah. because it's just a word to you. But you can love a person because She's, they're a person, and you can love the touch that you have together." And I think that's very she's profound. She's preaching the gospel of the sixty ninth reformed. Yeah, I think you might say. Yeah, and I just think it's it's quite beautiful. I agree that she is able to achieve spiritual transcendence in a way that she never thought that she could because she didn't know what she was not having until she had it. Mm-hmm. And, and of sex. And of course, sex. you know, it's not as if all of the sex in this film is portrayed as this transcendent spiritual act. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, pretty much every time she's with a man who's not her husband, it is a humiliating, punishing, mm-hmm. dangerous act. Mm-hmm. And I don't really, you know, I don't know where I really want to go with that, but... I think the film doesn't look negatively on sex as an act, but it does, and so does Short Bus, and so does Le Bonheur, talk about using sex in negative ways versus positive ways, and that both things are true, and that it's not just that sex is a bad thing, but like sex can be used for spiritual transcendence Mm -hmm. or sex can be used to hurt someone that you love or sex can be used to hurt yourself or maybe you like that yeah (laughs) it's all it's just like 
it it allows for this interpretation that like sex is what you bring to it Mm -hmm. and it is i like that it is just a physical act that can be used in a lot of different emotional settings and 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 starving yourself is also a physical act Mm -hmm. which is what the male elders in this church would probably say is the more pious route deprivation Mm -hmm. i think about babette's feast Mm -hmm. there's this there's a great moment in babette's feast where one of the women who has employed babette so babette is going back to france the the war is over and she's been serving this house this like these daughters of a priest for 14 years and she has made their bread and ale soup and, but has sort of like tested the waters and made some more delicious things. Like she's a, mm-hmm. she's a good cook. Once she finds out she's going back to France, she's like, please give me permission to make one French dinner. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, Babette, absolutely not. Like you're not paying for that. She's like, please, I've never asked for anything. They're like, you know what? You're right. Babette's like, it's going to take me about a week. I got to get out of here. This is another movie that takes place in like a provincial European town yeah. with strict religious mores. And everyone knows everybody. So Babette gets out of town and then she comes back with like a fucking wheelbarrow with a live turtle in it, like boxes of wine, like overflowing vegetables, a a, a crate of live chickens or quails Do or something. Do they eat a turtle? Yes, they make turtle soup. But once oh. once these women that she works for, the preacher's daughters, realize what she's doing, they like hold a town meeting. They're like, look. <laughs> you are going to be asked to eat and drink some pretty crazy shit at this French dinner. So let's all agree right now that we're not going to talk about the food when we go to dinner. Like, we're going to be good sports, and we're going to eat what Babette has made, but this is an unholy communion, Mm y'all. And so I just... Sorry, that's what, like, starvation made me think of in terms of religion. And so she, she is... I just... What you were saying about the act, like a physical act used for spiritual yeah. transcendence... In Babette's Feast, it's food, not sex. Right. But there is this religious attitude in the backwards puritanical town that's like, don't indulge. Mm-hmm. Don't feel. Yep. That's basically what it comes down to. It's like, yeah. don't feel anything. Don't touch anything. Don't experience anything. Make bread and ale soup and don't complain about it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, because it's important to keep in mind here, it's not just the fact that she's having sex with other people that is making them angry. They're pissed about the whole marriage in the yeah. first place because they know that Jan and Bess are making love mm-hmm. and living according to their own rules. Yeah. And that's what pisses them off. Yes. That they're not depriving themselves of mm-hmm. things. Babette's Feast. Good movie. Did nice. that win the Academy Award? I Best believe it I did. did. I believe it did. Another Danish film. Mm-hmm. I love Babette's Feast. So good. Emily Watson also said when she read the script, she said it felt very foreign. It felt very scary. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Scandinavian when I read it. Well, that makes sense. I'm like, well, yeah. So maybe let's just talk a little bit about Ooh, Emily Watson and then we'll move forward. Is rated G. Oh, it is not an objectionable film. It is yeah, it's pure just so goodness. 
happy. I had my the dumbest grin on my face for the whole last 45 minutes of the movie when they're eating the food. And there's a scene when Babette gets to the cheese course. Because mm. part of the pleasure of the film is just the way that it captures the magic and ecstasy of preparing food and eating mm. food. So you watch her make all of the dishes. You watch her uncork all of the Veuve Clicquot. And when she gets to the dessert course, she just has these enormous wheels of cheese. And when you just see her like plunge a knife in mm. this gigantic block of white cheese, I believe I went, oh, <laughs> yeah, out loud. And there was another moment in the film when... Food is very sensual. Food is very sensual. There was another moment in the film, I saw it at the Downtown Independent, not to get too regional, but there was a woman in the audience who was probably like 10 rows behind me or something based on the volume of her voice. And when like one of the religious people like wasn't enjoying like some entree, mm. she just was like, no, <laughs> she couldn't help herself. She I'll have to ask that. my friend Carla. So I saw with what exactly she said, but that it was some like, and, like she couldn't help herself. She was I talking back to the screen. Me. No. All right. Emily Watson, her eyes are watching God. One of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Anchors the entire thing. I get Correct. why she lost to Frances McDormand. I knew we talked about this, but I don't know that I agree that she. That she so should have I lost. wanted to. Okay, so you brought it up. I was thinking to myself yesterday. It's, it's apples and oranges. I, but I was thinking to myself yeah. yesterday, yeah. and this is sort of like an unfair thing to say, but this is all in good fun. Mm-hmm. That I think in Ben's head, Frances McDormand has zero Oscars. <gasps> is that accurate? Yeah, I wouldn't have voted for her either time. Wow. No, 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 but any nomination. So you've got North Country and you've got Mississippi Burning. Or no. or any other performance. Okay. Yeah. No. All right, that's fine. Again, oh. not being a bitch, but oh, you brought her true. up. No, yeah, I know. I do think about that. I don't think I would ever... I mean, if Olive Kittredge were a movie, I would have voted for her. And not to get too regional, but I do love that Frances McDormand won both her Oscars for towns movies with towns in the midwest and yeah them. oh yeah i think what was who won best actress in 2014 julianne moore yeah mm-hmm. i mean i still would have of given course. it to francis of course but uh, well we all would have given in, it to julianne for like Julie safe would have been in the, yeah i mean julianne right. moore would have two oscars for me i'd give her supporting for boogie nights i'd give her the oscar for safe i'd give her the oscar for far from heaven three oscars wow she's three oscars as far as i'm concerned and yeah. i would give her a nomination for shortcuts Nice. Oh, yeah. Should we move on to La Boner? Yeah, I think let's do the boner. Yeah, let's okay. keep it moving. Yeah, so this is a short movie. We'll try and keep it short. How what? How are we on time? Well, we should wrap up in about eight minutes. <laughs> okay, so we've gone for one hour and 52 minutes. Okay, La Boner. Oh, no. We Anya keep Sparta. it at a crisp 90, don't we? Uh, we again, Brand, or Ben and I have listened to the episodes. I try, I try to wrap us up at ninety, but it. All right, I'm going to try that more. too. So Agnes Varda's so the boner, the boner. So the boner. <laughs> One minute I, for each ten minutes of film <laughs> is what we have. Let's, I think we can do that. Ready, go. So the film opens with a credit sequence of a family walking in the distance and a sunflower, and we oh, cut aggressively sunflower. between the two. It's so aggressive. Is it idyllic? I don't know. The imagery sure seems nice, but this cutting pattern is stressing me out. I was so stressed. I was like, stop cutting to the flower. Maybe this (laughs) scene of domestic bliss isn't as peaceful as I thought it was supposed to be. Maybe. Oh, no. (sighs) Maybe the rhythms of a sociopath are interrupting the whole damn thing. (laughs) He's a hot sociopath. Who comes up or shows up bearing rosé. So I can relate. He does come. Where do we want to start with Le Bonheur? Um, When he steals the bread. 
Okay, mm. great moment. Oh no, I think this is great. So y'all go, y'all go for it. Well, he's a sociopath. <laughs> he's only interested in his own pleasure and feeding his his urges. <laughs> he's a man. He's a man, woman. I just think I deserve happiness and, and he, a lot of it. And I he walks by this woman and he rips off a piece of bread and she's like, it's meant to be so, it's meant to be so playful and joyous. But when that scene happened, I was like, what the flying violin? This is the whole thing, right? So it, this movie is buoyant. It is playful. It is silly. It is alive. The colors are so expressive. And it's the sort of thing where like, the filmmaker is reminding you that she's working with color. She's not trying to be subtle about it. Mm-hmm. There are fades to blue and red and yellow, depending on the dresses of whatever yeah. the object of desire if it, if is going to be. If it fades to red, everyone wears red. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we're it fades f- to blue, it's a blue wall. And, and you know, like the idea... Uh, like she, she, she go ahead. She plants the color blue in sort of this desiring space. That by the time Emily is wearing the blue dress, you're like, oh, I'm attracted to her. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's sort of Guadagnino esque in a way. Mm-hmm. Just, just using using the mise en scène to conjure a desire before you even know that he's working on you, working right. on number on you. Right. But. So, so it gives you the appearance that this is going to be a fun movie, and again, all these Mozart reveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's delightful. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the moment when he snatches the bread from the woman. So as Ben pointed out today in our text, and then I saw also on the internet, the woman's sort of into it. I think I just sent you the tweet. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think I just. I was in, in su- I was in such first. a data interest. I can't, does, I don't need to go into what I was doing, but... I was just like, my eyes were watching numbers on the God. screen, and I'm copying and pasting Your copy. Eyes were and watching God, just like I'm Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, when I wasn't taking a two hour nap. Mm-hmm. I was Stop basic- napping. So, I, so the, what I'm trying to get at here is is the whole movie through this guy's perspective, like, is the reason why the woman's sort of into the bread because he snatches it up and then walks away and he just imagines she's laughing it off behind yeah. him. She's like, oh, what a nice, cute man. Because think about what's Stealing happening in the movie. He is, like, breaking up his beautiful family mm-hmm. and yet the movie is like, la-di-da, yeah. how great is this? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can have it all. No one's feelings are hurt. Everyone's nope. satisfied. Well, until she... Kills no, herself. that's the that's the breaking point of the film. But like mm-hmm. up until that minute, because when he tells her that he's having an affair, she's, she's like, into it. She's like fantastic. Yeah. She's like, you know what? Great. And then they sleep together, and then she disappears. If you think about what that scene looks like with two regular humans, mm-hmm. one, he's not as art. Like he's feeding her such a line of bullshit. He, yes. He's like, if I, you know, I give you all of my all of my arms, but then I find out I have two more arms and what a waste it would be not to hug another woman with them. Like that's such horseshit. Yeah. It's bullshit and it's horseshit. Like someone hears that and they're like, okay, honey, like mm-hmm. let me read you the riot act. He's like, he's like, this other woman makes me so happy. Don't you want me to be happier when I'm with you? She's like, if it makes you happy. Yeah. So I think, I think that, that I think most of this movie is not how it actually happened. Right. I don't think that he walks in with two bottles of rosé and everyone's like, "You're the best," you know. <laughs> You're so yeah. great. I'm doing my arms. Yes. True. And so it's I, just like in his head. What I think happened is that he tells his wife, and I, I'm. I mean, this is such a jarring transition because what I'm saying isn't funny, but I think that he tells his wife. She upsets negatively. Sure, she gets upset. She reacts negatively, and then he either rapes her or mm. or or. or 
talks her into sex in a manipulative way. Right. And then after they have sex, that's sort of when that character realizes who she's given her life to and is so despondent over the thing that she kills herself. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, why? she's not... I don't believe that the actress is putting on a performance of Masquerade when... No. In the previous scene before she kills herself. I don't and think... Like, if you look at the the way that it's like there are two differing styles depending on if he's with his wife or with his lover. Emily. Emily. Uh, when he's with his wife. What's her name? Her name is Therese. Therese. It's very, it's this very naturalistic. The camera's just there. Mm-hmm. And like it's gliding through and. It's just very, it's very easy and beautiful. And then when he's with the young woman from the Emily. postal, it's like hot and intense, short shots focusing on one detail. Mm-hmm. And burn, 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 burn. that montage of their sex, mm-hmm. oh, all, yeah. all the all the close ups of elbows and breasts, yeah. and, and it's just like and when they're at. It like burr, starts burr, when they're burr. at the cafe together, and it's like there's just like half of her face, which is very Cleo, mm-hmm. and like the cigarette and the pack it's of It's charged. It's sexy, and it's uh, and and he says, "Let's get a cup of coffee," and then you see he's having a glass of wine. Uh and it is just like a representation of his emotional state in both of those periods mm-hmm. of time. Remember when he spins the umbrella? Yeah, he's like, how fun am I? He's like, zzz, and they're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? what's great about Varda though is it is beautiful to see. Like, yeah. it is it's yeah. that classic Varda. How can we make this scene as playful as possible? Yeah. And just how can we interject this scene with a joie de vivre that is both unexpected and <clears throat> lived in? Mm-hmm. You know, nice. So she manages to have it both ways, which I think demonstrates her genius as a filmmaker. Like, it is on one level just this fizzy flute of champagne on St. Patrick's Day. So we're dropping green dye into it. Like, it's effervescent, it's colorful, yeah. and you get a little buzz off of it. And and you can enjoy it on that level yeah. if you're not thinking critically about what's happening in every scene. Right. Once you factor that in, it's deeply disturbing. Yeah. yeah. But so fun to watch as it goes on. Like yeah. it, it's beautiful to watch because when he's, you know, when he's falling in love with Emily, like Ben was saying, it is there's this of this very raw sensual quality to it. And we are humans with blood in our veins, um, and we're not asexual. So the three of us are all gonna. It's gonna rustle our jimmies a little bit. Yeah, you know, my jimmies were rustled. Same, same. Here's a question I have about this movie. Sure. Do you think Agnès felt that Jacques could have <gasps> an idyllic romantic situation <sighs> with anyone except and no that she loved him in a way <clears throat> that she didn't feel was reciprocated? I don't think so because, as we were saying earlier, I think it was an open relationship. Yeah. But do you think it was her choice? Do you think she just submitted the to The way her? that she's devoted herself to Jacques for so long after his death, mm-hmm. I think has demonstrated that. And of course, now we're just speculating. But they did now, break now we're up. Just, right, right. And got back together but, and broke up and got back together. And to be and clear. she's just come to a mature understanding of it. To be clear, we're being speculative about mm-hmm. a filmmaker's personal life. But I don't think that she would have wanted it that way. I was going to go even deeper, but I don't want to speculate on a filmmaker's personal I mean, life. at like 35, maybe she wasn't as... This is what, 66? Unpossessive mm-hmm. as she is 65. today, 30 years after his death. Sure. Or, may, I mean, and, and 
not that a filmmaker has to be living something in order to make a movie about it. Right. And as we've talked about on the fil- on the podcast before, there is sort of, and I'm not saying that this is what you're doing, but there is, because I've done it before. Um, there, it, there's this slightly sexist assumption that when a woman makes a movie, it's autobiographical. I know, and I knew oh. that you were going to say that, and I would like to rebut that I did this I with know. Phantom Thread. So. I know. I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying, so. I'm just saying because I do think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, it. I, that's, I don't think that's, I don't think what you're saying is sexist because we were just talking about how their relationship was open. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense to tie this film into that narrative. I was just trying to sound woke. Nice. <laughs> um, there's a, but there's nice. also the possibility that like, it's just a coincidence. Like it she, could be. she yeah. just made this movie about contemporary attitudes around couples. Mm-hmm. It's French. Like, it comes from somewhere. Though. It comes from, everything comes from somewhere. So that's, but I, the film is still very provocative. Mm-hmm. That 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 we watch scenes of domestic bliss with the family and with his wife and with the lover, mm-hmm. and there's seem and it, it's there's apart from the it's it's more sensual with Emily. Everybody seems happy in both realities. Right. right. It's it's there's uh, your balance. It's some it's said it on like the Criterion synopsis of the movie, not deceptive, but it's. Oh, it says it's uh, a little. Um, I think it, no, I think it says deceptively cheery. Yeah, um, which is beautifully put. Yeah, um, it's yes. like it's what you said. Like on the surface, if you're just watching, like, oh, this is delightful. Everyone's happy, and then but, you hear this Mozart, and but then he it's, picks uh, up his dead wife seventeen times. <sighs> which she, I, I love when Varda does this, and she does it in her short film Uncle Yanko, which is about when when Jacques and Agnes are living in Los Angeles. She discovers that she has a uncle of some removed variety who's living on a houseboat in Sausalito, and she films them like meeting for the first time, like twelve times, even mm. with like the clapboard in the frame. And then they like, "Oh, are are you like Stanley's daughter? Why, yes!" Like, and they do it all these times. And then like it get like sometimes it's sort of awkward, sometimes it's more loving. And then there's a point when either she's doing it or another character just like holds up like a red gel on the shape of a heart. <laughs> like, it, but it's these heightened moments of um, emotional, I don't want to say realism because it's not, but she, by repeating the moment, she makes it truer than it would be right. if she had just presented it one way. Mm-hmm. And this is why, as we've said on the podcast before, I think Varda, she Varda in the gleaners and I with the grass. Exactly. The trucks. Yes. Love grass. Varda is truck. letting you in on the joke. She's mm-hmm. not saying fuck you to your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, no, then it gets very real. And then for the rest of the film, he's totally despondent and sad. Um, seems to be grappling a little bit more with the decisions she's made. All of a sudden he's like, I got to take a walk like a number of times in the film. Um, yeah. But you know, Jean Dielman, this is not, this is not a unadorned, uh, three hour look at routine straight on. Mm -hmm. It is a 90 minute deceptively cheery to use the criterion words. 86. No, no, it's 80. It's 80. 80. Period. 80. It's a tight oh, 80 that, that is also exploring 80. like the routines of domestic spaces. And the spaces. Wife dies at 67. And There's 13 I minutes know. after she dies. There's a, which is another like. Just watching him settle in with the new woman. It's very provocative. It's very provocative. Like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's. Anyway, yeah, that that was a pretty shoehorned uh, Jean Dielman reference. But I think I made my point. You could have gone, well, with done. she's making a dress. 
She's doing women's There you go. Work. She's a dressmaker. She's doing women's oh, yeah. work. Any final concluding thoughts on Lebanon, or shall we move on to, to final remarks? And else. and you know, we could keep talking, but we do need to be mindful of not just our time, but the listeners' time. Very true. You know, we don't want to go on forever. Um This isn't John Dealman. Like I just don't remember that time passing. Well, no. Has it been like two hours? No, we're at one thirty five. Oh, that's ideal. Final yeah, thoughts on what if the theme was sluts? Final thoughts. Um I'm none. Well, the theme was sluts, and none of them were sluts. Yeah. That's exactly right. It we was subverted a, our own theme. It was a twist. Wow. What a wow. twist. A twist ending. Let's, um... What are we, we, like, we, we like our movies, I'm O. Martini, with a twist. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we are talking about... Bum, 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 bum. <gasps> we are talking about the Tony Collette horror <gasps> vehicle, Hereditary. Extremely Emily Dickinson voice. Hereditary. Hereditary. (laughs) Hereditary. And that's about as peaceful as the hereditary conversation is going to get. We are also, and I'm very excited about this, we will be doing a Tony Collette retrospective with this film. (laughs) Tony, Tony, Collette, 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 six, six, six. Little Miss Sunshine, which we're not watching. Which we're not <laughs> watching. But got a baftonum. We're watching wow. In Her Shoes. We're watching Mirror, Mirror, Mirrors. <laughs> I'm done. Oh my mirror, God. Mirror, Murmurs. Mirror? We're watching Murmurs. Muriel's wedding. I, no, I, heard, I heard the Julia Roberts vehicle, Mirror, Mirror. Oh my god. <laughs> We've now referenced both Snow White vehicles on the pod. Wow. 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 Well, k- goodbye. <laughs> well, this has been another fun-filled episode of Sluts IMO. We will be back nice. to Movies IMO next week. Mm-hmm. I would please, please encourage you to slap us five stars on the iTunes store in the podcast space. I don't know how the other podcast hosting websites work, but if there's some sort of rating option or, or a review option, by all means, spread the wealth. Let us Challenge. Know. What's your favorite What If The Theme Was Sluts movie? Ooh. You can either add us on Twitter or you can write us a review on the podcast iTunes store. What's I don't our, know what it's called. Is it our, called the podcast store? It's the podcast. The podcast it's just app. the iTunes store. It's the podcast is it, app. I thought that was a sort of a defunct term iTunes store? Yeah. I mean, that is what you would call it still. I, well, we don't, it's a little inside baseball. We can talk about that later. I was told it was not. Well, but I'm, by all means, let's keep calling it that. All right. Brandon, <laughs> Brandon you've had your mouth agape. Comment like I, like at I the had ready. something to say. It's been on the tongue of your tip. <laughs> hey. Oh. You know, just, a, just like that a one. tip of the dick to our listeners. Tip of the dick to you, Governor. Oh, tip of the dick to you there. <laughs> Please end this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, night, night. We accidentally stopped the episode a little bit early because Ben threatened to walk. <laughs> he threatened to curtsy to the, to the tip of my dick. I didn't realize you were what? just going to hit the record button. No, and then I got up because I had to pee. So very quickly, my name's Daniel Crook. All right, Crook. we're back. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's, and I will be watching the rest of the Adnias Farda Criterion box set for the rest of the evening. Wow. Um, but I won't, so don't check Letterboxd on that. <laughs> uh, 
you can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. And you can find Movies IMO at Movies IMO. I don't know and, if we said that. And I did not. And your name is? John Dealman. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm Ben Empey. You can find me on Twitter at Real.Haynes. And I achieve spiritual transcendence every time I have sex. You've had sex on this table upon which we record. <laughs> oh, and, no. And we are by proxy receiving spiritual transcendence. Oh. <laughs> well, that's a tip of the deck to you, sir. Tip of the deck to you, Governor. Okay, bye. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. <laughs>